0: hello and welcome to the soulist Church podcast Thanks for tuning in we pray that God speaks to you today through this message For more sermon content and information visit soullistchurch.com this scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. And the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, can we thank Lynn for leading us in that? Appreciate it. Awesome. Very good. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, if you came in in the middle of our worship set, I had given a little welcome on the front end. I want to welcome you again. My name is uh, Andrew, and I have the uh, real life privilege and honor to be the pastor of this church here, Soulis. As Kyle said, three years into what God's doing here, really excited for what He's up to, and and certainly a day like Easter where we just get to focus all of our attention on how awesome He is uh, with the things that He's accomplished. And so uh, that scripture reading, Philippians three. it's fitting right into our schedule as a church Uh, for the past two months or really two and a half months or so. We've been walking through this book, the book of Philippians, and uh, we have outlined things in such a way that we uh, fall on a a resurrection theme here on Easter morning. And so uh, we're going to go back through some of these verses and just going to kind of unpack some of the, the principles and truths found in here and hopefully get a little bit deeper in our understanding and gratitude for Easter Sunday here this morning. So uh, if you're a, the note-taker type, I like you first. That's my favorite type um, in church. It's just more fun to cook for people who are hungry. Um, but if you like to take notes, the, the main idea, even if you don't, if you're a mental note-taker, I, w- I want to teach today on this topic that we saw here in Philippians 3, this idea of the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. If you're an overachiever, you can even create a subtitle to the message, which would be in parentheses, experiencing Easter. So if you're super, if there's one of you doing that, my heart is full. Um, But yeah, the power of of his resurrection. We want to talk today about this idea of not just celebrating Easter, but experiencing Easter on a daily basis. Uh, And so if you would join me in a word of prayer, we'll get into that. Father, we thank you again for this spectacular event that this day allows us to celebrate. Um, God, the church calendar, it's so helpful for us to be able to zero our attention in, in a world of distractions. There's just so many things, God, you know it, we can admit it, that on a daily basis there are just so many things jockeying for our attention, pulling our lives in so many directions. And I believe there's just no better place to be than right here, right now, where we get to be with this opportunity of fixing our eyes on you, opening up our ears to hear from you, opening up our lives, God. Maybe our lives, there's people here today that have had their lives closed off to you. Maybe we've done that. We've closed off our lives to you. And we just come to you first and foremost before we open your word to study what you say We want to make sure our posture is that of openness. We open up our hearts and our lives for you, God, to work. I pray that's true of every person here. We invite you, God, to speak to us. Uh, Somehow, this miracle of using a guy like me to communicate, I pray that this time would be meaningful because your spirit's here filling me, speaking to us. We ask you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Uh, let's begin with a question. I like to do this, get us thinking introspectively before anything else. Uh, First and foremost, what does Easter, think about this, what does Easter mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? Uh, I'm a dad. I got three kids, a lovely wife. We um, celebrated, uh, well, I guess this, oh gosh, hold on, get it right. Um, We celebrate 13 years this November. You're like, how old are you? I got married at 11, in case you're wondering. But um, no, I'm, I just turned 33. My wife and I got married uh, really young, and, and we're, we're coming up here to celebrate uh, our 13-year anniversary this November. We got three little kids who are uh, just the pain and joy of our lives all at the same time. The pain is how much we love them, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, being a parent, one of the mo- biggest responsibilities we have with our seven now five and almost three-year-olds, is to create as many memories as we possibly can. You know, a lot of that's left up to circumstance and how things play out, but certainly an event like Easter, uh, we're trying to create habits and rhythms and traditions for Easter to be meaningful to them for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. And I wonder for you, what what sort of meaning does Easter have for you? I wonder if it's a part of your upbringing or not. you know, we, we're already starting with the early Sunday morning Easter basket thing. My wife goes all out. She is awesome. She's a, she's a true Easter G on, on Easter morning, like having the, the bags packed with, with all these uh, little goodies and treats. Um, you know, Easter for us as Christians, let's say this, it can mean a lot of different things. Easter has such a, a wide range of meanings and, and messages that it communicates. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus has so many implications. We we, we celebrated his cross, the cross that Jesus bore on Friday, Good Friday. But here on Easter Sunday, there's just so many different things that this can say. Uh, This is my fourth Easter sermon, for example, uh, as the pastor of this church. And each year, there's been somewhat of a different theme. Uh, I think our first year, the theme was hope. That's a major Easter theme, isn't it? This idea of how hope has come alive through the resurrection of Jesus. And the idea of hope through Easter is not just that, like, we can be hopeful. That's certainly a part of it. But it's this idea that Jesus, through rising from the grave, he has secured our greatest hope. And he did that by defeating our greatest enemy. That's what that means. The bad guy's been beaten. That's why there's hope. Jesus beat death. And so that's how Christian hope works. It's like even if you don't feel it in your heart, the hope of Jesus is this concrete reality that doesn't change even when I do. Isn't that good news? And that's the hope we're celebrating. We're here to say, man, Jesus has done it even when we don't feel it. Jesus is alive even when I'm not perfectly following him. My hope is secure. That's a major theme of Easter is the hope that Jesus has provided for us through his death and resurrection. Uh, Another one that's also a consistent common theme is the victory of the resurrection. This idea that the battle has been won. Jesus is the great conquering king, and the good news coming from the battlefield is, as I said, the enemy has been defeated. But it's interesting, here in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has a unique perspective to what Easter and the resurrection means to him. It's there in verse 10 of chapter 3 that Paul says, That I may know him, and notice this, and the power. Of his resurrection. For the Apostle Paul, Easter equated to power. The resurrection of Jesus to Paul was synonymous with an incredible display of incredible power. It's really an interesting thought. Um, and it's not unique to Paul. Paul's not originating this concept. In fact, it was Jesus himself when Jesus was on earth. Jesus said this about his own life, his death, and his resurrection, as it pertains to power. He says, "Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again." Notice this next verse in verse 18. "No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again." And we unpacked this a little bit again on Good Friday, this idea that on Good Friday, Jesus wasn't simply this like victim of execution. Jesus didn't powerlessly go to the cross. He wasn't God's victim for sin on the cross. This kind of like really weird idea that can be spun in, in the gospel. It's been like some people have misconstrued it to understand it as like cosmic child abuse, which is so far from what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that when I went to the cross, when I go to the cross, no one's taking my life. I'm giving my life. I have power to lay it down there's real power in the willingness to die to give your life it's the power of love and remember it was contrasting the power that the Roman soldiers were calling for from Jesus when he was on that cross remember they're like hey if you're really the son of God that's what you've been saying about yourself you're the you're the savior aren't you well if you're such a savior why don't you remove yourself from that cross if you're so powerful how come those nails are holding you there And as they were mocking him, they were missing the display of power that was happening before their very eyes. We could say it wasn't the nails that were holding Jesus on the cross. It was the power of his love. It was the power of his willingness. No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life sacrificially for his friends for others so Jesus says here my power is displayed in giving up my life but only now maybe we can kind of relate to that like there's great stories of sacrifice in history I think there's a sense in which we can kind of go God I want that same power to lay down my life and I don't mean like physically but like to die to self you know maybe in a relationship like sometimes I just need to die you know what I'm saying where it's like I'm I'm gonna die right now I'm not gonna fight that I'm not gonna let that live But there's another kind of power Jesus describes here that Paul alludes to that's a power unique to Jesus. He goes, I have the power not just to lay my life down, but I also have the power to take it again. This is what sets Jesus apart from every and any other significant figure in history. No matter how powerful they were, And no matter how powerful their legacy and the repercussions of their actions may be, um, here's the one thing that every powerful leader in history, history has in common. You ready? They're dead. They're not here. As powerful as their empires were, they did not have enough power in of themselves to defeat a greater power. And that's the power of death. This is what sets Jesus apart. This is a power unique to the Son of God. And that's, that's some real power. In fact, it's Romans chapter 1 that says that when Jesus raised his life from the grave, he declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, if he was just another good man and teacher, you could visit and memorialize his grave today, but you can't. Because the tomb is empty. Because he's the son of God. And he displayed that with great power power over the, the grave. I, I've never you know, tried this before personally, um, but I, I would imagine it's impossible. Okay, Jesus here standing in a category of his own. And notice what Paul says again there in verse 10, that verse we read. For Paul, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That power displayed Paul says, I want to know it. I want to go after it. Now, we need to take a step back here for a second and set the scene of who's writing this. Uh, It really gives a lot more, I think, meaning to what's being said. The Apostle Paul is the perfect case study and example of an individual whose entire life was changed by an encounter with the living Jesus. This kind of idea I talked about earlier that Jesus is not just some guy in the past, but he's the son of God displayed with power. I don't know if that's ever hit someone square between the eyes more than the Apostle Paul. Prior to Paul being a Christian, a pastor, he was the pioneer of the early church movement. Prior to any of that, the Apostle Paul had a bit of a, uh, uh, you could say, contrasting profession. His life purpose was to murder Christians. Talk about a turnaround. You know, they're really coming around, that guy, you know. He used to kill them, now he's helping them, okay? That's Paul. His whole life as a zealous religious Jew was dedicated to taking out people who were of the way, imprisoning them, dragging off men and women to prison. Why why are you worshiping this dead teacher? It's worth saying that religious passion can cause a lot of destruction, Religious passion throughout the centuries has has caused a lot of damage. Maybe you're here today and you're like, amen, I know that. Maybe you've been wounded by religious passion before. And this was Paul's course. Just in the name of, unfortunately, God trying to snuff out any hope and any word of the way of Jesus. That is, of course, until he was literally knocked off his high horse. As he was going to get further credentials from the government to legally imprison Christians, he has a encounter, a life-changing encounter with the living Lord Jesus. This is Acts chapter 9. And he's knocked off his horse, and he hears this voice saying, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, And Saul responds, and he says, who are you, Lord? Now, Johnny Cash lets us know that he already knew. Thank you, Johnny Cash, for a lot of things, but especially that. He already knew. Who are you, Lord? Like, please don't say Jesus. Please don't say Jesus. Like, he knows. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting that encounter that Paul had with Jesus changed his entire life. And I want to say that's what it means to be a Christian by the way. A Christian is not someone that has, you know, good behavior, votes a certain way, has all these their theology buttoned up and is perfect this, that and the other. Whatever you've been taught about the Christian faith, here's a Christian, someone who has a, has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. Someone that's just like, I don't, I've heard about him, but now I see him. Now I know. Maybe for you, that's something that is yet to happen in your life. Maybe for you, the, the resurrection for you means this. Jesus is not just a concept. He's a person. He is Lord. Lord even of your own life, calling you to bow your knee and worship him and follow what he has for your life. Now, Paul experienced that change. I mean, talk about a turnaround. Like, this is the kind of guy that you look at and you're like, okay, if he can become a Christian... Anybody can. Like if this guy can become a Christian, anybody can. And here in this passage that we read, Paul is, is describing how radical his change was, his transformation. We read that in verse 8. Paul's like, I have so treasured what I found in Jesus that I count everything as loss for him. He is so wonderful and worth it and everything to me that I am willing to give up everything for Him. That's how valuable he is to me. He even takes it a step further and he says, I count all things as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says, I suffer the loss of all things, but notice this, I count them as rubbish is what he says. Uh, The Greek word there, we studied it last week. Uh, It's the word skubalon. It's really fun to say. You want to say it? Let's say it. Skubalon. You're welcome. Okay? It's really fun. Um, Skubalon is a Greek word that means refuse. What is in the toilet. Like, that's what he's saying. A steaming pile is what he's saying. He's like, I have comparatively counted everything as scubalon, as garbage, as rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus. Jesus changed his whole life. He was willing to give up everything for Jesus. And then what we see in these following verses is that he gave everything to lay hold of whatever Jesus had for him. This is something unique to Paul. Paul was a guy, after encountering Jesus, who uh, wasn't content with having some of what Jesus had for him. Willing and okay with having enough of what Jesus had for him. Or just some of it. Paul was a guy who said, if Jesus is Lord, I want all that he has for my life. What a cry. Jesus, I don't want some of what you have. I want all that you have died and rose to give me. Amen? I want every single drop of blessing that comes from Calvary's cross in my life. And Paul's, in, in this passage, he starts talking about how he's reaching forward to those things. how He's, he's putting his hand almost like in this treasure box of Jesus. I, I think of, uh, my again, my three kids, and I alluded to earlier the, the pains and the Privileges of parenting and the joys, and they're really the joy of my heart. That's that's obviously said tongue in cheek, but yeah, they're also the pain in my neck as well at times. And and you know some of the challenges that that you, you face as a parent, uh, kind of you just kind of have to adjust them along the way. Um, dental issues have been a thing recently. Going to the dentist, I was always afraid of going to the dentist myself. We had a dentist family in the service at the nine, and I made sure to say we love you. I, I pray I don't offend you, but. Um, Now, there's a whole other thing. If you think going to the dentist is scary, try bringing your kids to the dentist. Like, you're going to the dentist now. You ready? Now, the only way that they actually stay in that chair and experience the work that they need is through these incentive tools that the dentists dentists use and the the assistants. um, And it's like, they have like this... um, this reward, like, boomer's Chuck E. Cheese system, like, where there's this treasure box, and if you stay in the chair, you get a prize. If you let them clean a tooth, you get two prizes, all right? And if, if it kind of goes on and on, and there's, like, these categories. Well, the way that my kids are is when they come across that treasure box of random prizes, there is no point system, there's how much can I fit in my hands, okay? And, and, of course, the dentist people aren't going to be like, put that back. You didn't earn it, you little thief. You know, like, they're going to be like, okay, you know, you can take the, the, the bouncy ball and the uh, temporary tattoo of Dora the Explorer or something, you know, like, go for it. Uh, there's just this, like, I'm taking a full handful. And um, as kind of trivial and as um, almost immature as that may sound, I see the Apostle Paul here in Philippians 3 taking this full grasp of Jesus He's taking full advantage of the treasures that are found in him. And he's saying, I want all of Jesus. I want all of him. He says there in verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Jesus is like, a man, the first thing I want is I want the righteousness that I need that has come to me through the cross and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, That's what I want. Righteousness, the idea of righteousness is that you are in right standing. You're in the proper place between you and God. And Paul says in life there's really two options. There's my own righteousness, which is where I try to earn that and achieve that and measure up to God's standard. Which scripture says we all fall short of, even though for some reason we still try to reach that. He says, or there's a righteousness that doesn't come from keeping the laws, but that which is through faith in Christ. There's either I become good enough, or I say Jesus was good enough, and his sacrifice is good enough, and I'm going to put faith in what Jesus has done for me, and I'm going to bank on a righteousness that comes from Jesus and not me when I stand before God. I want to be dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless standing before the throne. He says, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Question for you right now is, how are you found right now? Whose righteousness are you in? You know, one day we're all going to be found for one of two righteousnesses. There's a righteousness that is about achievement and achieving some standard. And there's a righteousness that's about receiving the gift of God's grace and love. Paul's like, man, I'm reaching full on to the righteousness that Jesus has for me. I'm saying his righteousness is better than any, any like puny religious thing I could try to work up. And this is so important. This is, by the way, the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not a group of people that are better than some other people. The Christian faith says we all desperately need the grace and the mercy of god we all desperately need a righteousness that's not our own but that which comes through faith now there's a couple more heart cries in this passage and then paul gets to the singular one that we're focusing on which is this cry i love this to know jesus and the power of his resurrection he's like i'm reaching full on in for that first i love the idea that he says that i may know him that's the first thing he's like i'm after this The Greek word there know. It's a word that communicates um, not intellectual knowledge, which is another Greek word, but it's a Greek word that Paul uses to describe experiential knowledge. We could probably go around and give some sort of um, show of knowledge regarding some celebrity or athlete or person that we know about, you know, that guy on the bachelor or that, you know, like whatever it may be, you know, or or this athlete or that person. You know, I could give you some Steph Curry stats. I know Steph Curry pretty well up here, right? Like, I could kind of show off something that I know about him. But Paul's like, no, I, I'm, no, let me say this. It is important to know what's true about God. The truth sets you free. It's important to, to know and believe and live according to the right ideas and the truth about God. That, that determines a lot in, in your life and where you're headed. But Paul's like, as a Christian, he's like, I'm not content just knowing about God. If the veil has been torn for me to be in relationship with God as my father, I want to know him. I want to like really know him. I I don't want to settle for what I know about him or who I am or the fact that I go to church. I want a real living relationship with the real living God. I want to experience him in my life. And how many of us know that when you have a relationship with someone like that, they start to rub off on you. To get to know Jesus is to get to know, like any friend or person, it's to get to know the things that are around them and about them. And so Paul's like, as I'm getting to know Jesus, he goes, my heart cry is also to get to know the power of his resurrection, Paul's like, I'm reaching all for what Jesus has died to give me. And as I seek to know him, I pray that in proximity to him, in relationship with this God who died to save me, to adopt me into his own family, as his own child, I pray that as I'm getting to know him as my father, that I would experience, same word, that I may know, experience in my life, that same power of his resurrection, that I would experience it. So significant. Um, there's a principle, I guess you could say, a, a, a big premise that Paul is, is communicating in this idea. For Paul, what he's saying here about Easter is huge. It's huge. Easter is an event that we gather to celebrate not just once a year, but really daily we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. But Paul is saying that the resurrection of Jesus was never intended to just be an event that we celebrate yearly. He's saying the resurrection of Jesus is a power. There's a power in that resurrection that God wants us to experience daily. A daily experience, an encounter with the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's insane. That is awesome. That Easter could be for you and me so much more than an event, but a real living right now reality. The power, the same power that rose Jesus alive in me. Now, Paul didn't just have this as a desire for himself. He prays this over the church in Ephesians 1. He says that you may, this is his prayer. He says, I pray that you would know, same Greek word, that you would experience What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's like, my prayer for you is the same prayer I have for myself, that you would know in a real way the power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life. That same power that rose Christ would be active in your life. So here's the question that we're pondering this morning on Easter morning. Have you personally experienced this power? Can you testify to the resurrection being a real thing, not just because you believe it happened, but because you've experienced something in your life? You've experienced a power that's not of your own, a power that's changed everything about you. Well, Maybe a good question for that question is this. What does that look like? You know, does that mean I gotta like speak in this language? You know, like, does that mean like I need to like jump up and like? What does it actually look like to experience this power? And if, if you know, if you've come to church here before, you're gonna realize that I have a real gift for you this morning. What I have for you is a closing one-point sermon. That's a gift, by the way. Okay, usually you're like every week. It usually is a one-point sermon with two points at the end with five minutes left, but. I just want us to have this thought today as I close. What that power looks like in your life in my life is a power that saves us simply when we're stuck. This is that idea. This is what Paul's praying for. He's like, I'm praying that in your life you would not remain in your stuck state, but that you would experience the same power that rose Christ from the dead. It would set you free. It would save you from that condition of being stuck now 2020 was a year of being stuck wasn't it in so many different ways I mean literally stuck like I can't leave my house okay um also like stuck in terms of how out of control we are just stuck there and we obviously have a say in things politically and in our world but That was a stuck mess too, wasn't it? Like, just how stuck we are, how stuck we can be in our division, how stuck we can be in in, in what happens. I mean, we can be stuck. This is a real thing. But when I use the idea of stuck here, being stuck, if that's happened to you in life, I don't just mean kind of some temporary, trivial thing. Scripture, when it kind of alludes to us being stuck, it's not like this temporary problem that will solve itself. When scripture begins to unpack how stuck we are in sin, apart from Jesus, the idea of of it is that we are so helpless that the only hope is being rescued. That's how stuck we are. We're so helpless in our sin, apart from God, that the only hope is being rescued. I think of um, a couple guys in our church, actually, who a few years ago met at one of our launch team meetings. So the way that we started this church three years ago is we just had like a group of people that were called to kind of at least sew into the work that God was doing here. And we would get together and just get to know each other and we'd pray and just, I don't know, strategize and just kind of lean into whatever God had. And and there are two guys in that group um, that are still with us today, like both living and, um, and in the church. Um, Isaac and Joseph, Isaac and Joseph. The way that these two guys uh, sought to build some community one night at a, at a launch team meeting, was after the meeting, they jumped in Joseph's FJ Cruiser to go do some off-roading here, I'm sure legally, in Boca. It's Boca, you can do that legally, right? Boca is like super lax. Um, I'm not going to admit that I've done that with Joseph before. Um, I said I'm not going to admit it. Um, but, um, so so they, they were out there uh, doing some off-roading, and um, they, got, they got stuck pretty bad. Um, that stuck to the point and it was like late at night. I think it was like at this point, almost like 930. And so everyone had gone in. So, so they, they were at the point to where there was no manpower in and of themselves that was gonna get them out of the situation. And so Joseph informed me about this really interesting Facebook group called Stuck in Florida SOS Off-Road. And you're welcome, by the way, okay? Now, I don't think this applies to like if your battery dies on the side of the road. Like you can pretend to be like a bro, like, hey man, my, my ride's crashed, you know? And maybe they'll show up. But it's basically this community that's like, hey, I, I know I'm going to get stuck and need to get bailed out, and so I'll bail you out, and maybe you can return the favor one day with all the off-roading they're doing. So this is the actual post that Joseph made on February 8th, 2018. There's his truck. It says, anyone in Boca? Question mark. I think there's a guy from Boynton that drove all the way up to bail them out. Um, But let that just be a visual of what I'm trying to communicate when I talk about this idea of humanity apart from God being stuck to the point of helplessness if it's not for the hope of rescue. That's the language of scripture. In fact, it's a little bit worse. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes the human condition apart from Jesus. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. God scans the human population, and his findings are consistent. Humanity has sinned and fallen short in their relationship with God. And the result of that is not just that we've made some mistakes, but the biblical diagnosis, Jesus taught this at Weswell, is the result of sin is death. It's death. It's first spiritual death. Sin has separated us through this spiritual death from a relationship with God that we were created for. That's the idea. And if you've ever lost a loved one before, you know that's what death really is separation. You know, I believe strongly, especially on Easter, I'm reminded of the hope that one day I'm going to embrace my mother who passed away when I was just 21 years old. I I have that hope. Um, But that security I have, it doesn't change the fact that it hurts when she's not here. Her death, I know she's absent from the body, present with the Lord, but there's a separation and, and this is the same truth about sin with us in God, death. What he's saying is, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He's not talking about physically. He's talking about your spiritual state and being stuck there. And he kind of unpacks how, how sad it is apart from God. This is our condition. This isn't some people. This is all people, by the way. He says first that you're stuck following the course of this world. The idea there is you don't have an option to go another way. You're just kind of caught up in the winds of culture. And wherever culture is going to go, you're going to go there too. It's being caught up in a singular course. And it has a lot of different lanes, but the idea is there it has a single course. Following the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is interesting. Maybe hard for our Western secular minds to wrap uh, our minds around, but Paul had no problem with this idea that behind the course of culture, there is an evil force that is blowing the wind, that is blowing the way. He says, apart from Jesus, you're not only stuck in the course of this world, but you're stuck under the power of a real evil one. That's, and by the way, it's a real Western thing for us not to be able to be you know, confident in something like that. If you go to the Eastern religions or even just go to Africa today, you know, by the way, there's more to faith systems than the American way. There's history. There's geography. Um, In the words of uh, C.S. Lewis, don't be so prideful to think that there's only uh, as much as God as you can dream up in your psychology and what you can make sense of. The idea of there being a real spiritual force is not difficult for other nations that aren't as materialistic. But, but it's a real thing. You know, in our country, we don't like to use the, even the word evil. It's like, chill, all right? Chill with the evil, all right? Dysfunction, that, all right? Just, that's more palatable. And that breaks down really quick. Because what you're trying to do is just go back to the natural cause of what's going on and fix this and fix that. And, you know, you have Nazi Germany that arises. And back then, it was like, I oh, mean, there's no evil. There's just bad educational factors. That's the problem. It's like, well, Germany was pretty educated. I would call that evil. Evil, and and maybe the reason why you might struggle with the idea of real evil is because you've never truly come face to face with it. You haven't been a true victim of it. But it's a real thing. Scripture is like, this is real. And here's the hardest part. It has a face. There's a real spiritual force. I I know it's like, what's going on? Happy Easter. Welcome to Solus. But but Paul's like, I'm not going to pull any punches to tell you the truth. That there's a course of culture that without Jesus you're stuck in. There's a spiritual force that without Jesus, you're bound by. If you're not in Christ, we can't all say, God is my Father. Jesus spoke really boldly about that. And lastly, he says, not only are you stuck in this course under this power, he says that apart from Jesus, you're living in the passions of your flesh. You are a slave to your own desires. You are your own God, apart from Christ. If he's not Lord, someone else is going to have to be. And so Paul is like... He's not pulling any punches here, because this is love, by the way. It's loving to tell the truth, even if it offends and hurts. And it's not offending for the sake of offending. Like, why is offending such a popular thing these days? Like, we like to do it. Like, yeah, nobody likes to be offended. So it's all offend people in the name of the Lord, you know? It's like, chill, okay? Love people too. All right, so there's a counterbalance there. But God's word loves us enough, God himself loves us enough to tell us the truth about our condition. To be honest and say, listen, you're not just tripping up in sin, but apart from Jesus, the truth of scripture is you're dead in sin. You're dead. You're stuck there. There's a spiritual separation as a result from you and God. There's also a physical death that's awaiting each one of us. And that, apart from Jesus, will lead to an eternal death, an eternal separation now, this is our condition, and as I mentioned at the last service at this point, you're like, is this going to get any more happy, or is this just going to be bad news? Well, let me say this. Um, bad news is what makes good news that much better, right? Like, it's not until I really understand the condition of things that I can really appreciate what Jesus has done. And, and so in this situation, what is our hope? Our hope is that as those who have sinned against the holy God, the idea there too is there's no there's no ability for me to try to work my way back to him and try to be good enough. The Christian faith centers itself around what's called the gospel, which is a word that means good news. And here is that good news. First Timothy one says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save people who are stuck." That's what it says to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. This is the gospel message. You have even the greatest leader in the church saying, I'm the chief sinner, not the chief saint. And and I want you to know, this is the the hope of the Christian message. I'm not sure what it's become to you. I'm not sure what Christianity has been packaged as for you. Christianity in scripture is not advice about how to live. It's an announcement of what God has done for sinners. And that's called, again, the gospel, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Corinthians tells us how he did that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It says that he was buried and he rose again on the third day. This is the gospel, that we were stuck. But listen closely. The good news of the Christian faith, the good news over your life right now is God is everything you need him to be. Think about that again. God is everything you need him to be. I struggle sometimes because God isn't the way I want him to be. Which is a really prideful thing to say and admit probably, but humbling rather to admit. But I struggle with that. God, I want you to be more like this. And then God will remind me, no, Andrew. You want and you need me to be exactly who I am. Which is a God who is both just towards sin but loving and gracious and merciful towards sinners. I've demonstrated my love for you. I've been exactly who you need me to be by sending my son Jesus to come into this world and to bear your and my sin on the cross. The word in, in, in theology is atonement, to take my place. It says there, as we just read, that Christ died for our sins. And I want you to understand that that is personal. Jesus went to the cross for your sins yours. He certainly went for our sin, but he went to the cross for your sin, to become sin on your behalf so that you can be saved in and through him. This is, again, the power of the resurrection. It's a power that saves us when we're stuck in sin and death. Jesus comes into the world and he resurrects in such a powerful, profound way to save those whom he calls Romans 1.16, Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It is the power of God, that same resurrection power, to salvation. Notice this, for everyone who believes. This is important. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. In the gospel, this good news of what he's done in dying and rising, it's the power of God to salvation, not for everyone, but for everyone who believes. This is really important. It's the power of God of salva- unto salvation for those that say, I am not a sufficient Savior. I cannot pay my own debt. I can give all my efforts, all my, my attempts to be right with God on my own, but I need to acknowledge that it's only Jesus who can pay it all. It's only Jesus that can pay that debt that I owe. And so it's the, it's the person who believes, who trusts in Jesus and says, Jesus, you're sufficient. The person who believes in Jesus experiences what's called the power of God into salvation. This is God's plan for your life. That you would know the power of what he's come to do for you. That you would experience his resurrection power in coming alive spiritually. Uh, This is what Paul goes on to say. He says, God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sin, he's made us alive together with Christ. And it says this, that he's raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is so beautiful. Um, It's been well said about the Christian faith that Jesus hasn't come to earth to make bad people good people. Jesus came to make dead people living people. To breathe life. To look over the valley of dry bones that was dead in sin. And to come into that world and to display power over death. And then to share that same power to bring you to life in him. I'll invite the band to come up as we close and just kind of uh, leave with this thought and these encouragements that this same power is available to you and to me today. The question we asked on the front end is, are you personally and have you personally experienced this power of resurrection? Are you dead in your sin or are you alive in Christ by grace through faith? There are really three tenses of this. Jesus saves us both spiritually, continually, and eternally. This is where the resurrection power comes into play. First, it's this idea of spiritually. It's what we've talked about. That though you're dead in sin, you come alive. And maybe today you're here and you're like, I can admit that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that there's nothing I can do in and of myself. I'm stuck. I need a savior. It was John Owens who said that really the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. It's the sin that says, God, I need you to save me. Maybe you're here today and you go, how do I get that power that Jesus has for me to save me, to, to, to revive me, to bring me back to life, to bring me back into relationship with him? The scripture keeps it really simple. It says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, What a promise, you will be saved. Not you might be, you hopefully will be, but concretely, if your heart acknowledges your need for your Savior, and you confess Him, and acknowledge and believe that He is alive, and He wants to resurrect you, you will be saved. You come to Him as you are, and you say, Jesus, save me, have mercy on me, a sinner. The gospel is the power of God into that salvation for everyone who believes. And here's the good news of this. It's not just a one-time spiritual salvation. It's intended to be this continual thing. So maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you're like, I've prayed the prayer. I've, I've accepted Jesus in my life. But if I'm honest, I've been living a powerless Christian life. Maybe you feel stale. Maybe you feel like the power of the resurrection is nothing more than a thing that saved you. And what you need this morning is a reminder that that same power that rose Christ from the dead, it's in you. He is in you. It's a dependence on God and not on myself. His spirit is alive in me. And, and here's the problem. We can, we can get into these places where we just kind of get stale. Second Timothy says that we get to a place sometimes where we have a form of godliness, but we don't have any power in our lives. We're just masking our, our problems with church clothes, you know? And we're just kind of going through the motions. Here's the good news about Jesus. This different than me. Like, I throw out things that are stale all the time. Even if it's like a little bit stale. My wife's like, that's still good. I'm like, no, it's not. I like fresh toast, okay? Like Nacho Libre, you know? I like my toast good, you know? But here's Jesus And in scripture, the Bible says that a smoking flax, he doesn't extinguish. When Jesus comes across your faith and your spiritual life and it's powerless and is stale, he doesn't throw you out. He wants to stir you up. He wants to breathe life into you. He wants to pour out his spirit on you in a fresh way. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is available to you. And maybe what you gotta do is just turn to him and say, say, God, I need you. Maybe it's not that you're stale, you're just tired. You're spent and he has strength for you too to come to him and say, God, continually resurrect me. Continually give me that power. Here's the hope. For all who place their faith and trust in this resurrected Jesus, there's not only spiritual power, continual power, but there is this eternal hope that's laid up before us through this resurrection. Jesus said this in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me Though he may die, he shall live. This is our hope. We have both this hope, we have this salvation, and we have this power that comes from the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. So we close today with the same question we opened with. Do you know this resurrection power in your life? Uh, My prayer and my hope for you is the same as Paul, that you would know it in a real experiential way. You would know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive and he's alive in you. If you don't know God, if you're wandering away from God, that you would come back to Him. You'd place your faith and your trust in Him. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soullesschurch.com.